but once again, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Thank you for being here. Today is a very special Sunday where we're going to be focusing our heart and our minds and our attention on the mission of God for the church. Uh, the fact that there is still unfinished business. There's work to be completed by the church. Um, and the question that we want to ask is, what does that work look like? Um, I've been married for my, uh, to my wife uh, for about seven years now. It's going to be seven years in, in August. And in those seven years, we moved actually five different times. And in, in the times that we've been moving, you know, we get new furniture. Like, we have to, like, repair, like, damaged things within the house. And one thing I realized is that I'm not a, I'm not a handyman. I'm not good with my hands like my dad is. My dad could do anything and any, everything around the house, but I just can't do it. And I don't enjoy doing it. But because, uh, you know, I'm a man and I'm, I'm a father and husband, I have to learn how to do these things. Uh, and so, like, one of my worst nightmares is Ikea. Like, an Ikea, piece of Ikea furniture is, like, the main of my existence. I just don't like it because they just come with so many different small pieces, and it comes with a long list of instructions, uh, an instructional manual. And I'm not good with words. I don't like taking time and reading each instructions to put together a, a dresser or um, my daughter's crib. Like, it just takes, I have to clear out the whole day, basically, in order to build this one thing, Right? But one thing I always have to do when I'm building something is I need a picture. I need a, I need a box right in front of me to, to see what it looks like to kind of keep track of my progress. All right, am I, is it resembling at least what the final product should look like? Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I uh, built Deacon a train set that he got for his third birthday. He is four right now, so it took me a year to get around to building this thing, but it was one of those big ones that takes up a lot of space. It came with 100 pieces, 100-piece train set. I was like, oh, just rolling my eyes, but Deacon wanted it, and so I built it. Exact same thing. I just put that picture right there and just started building it, right, to see if it's resembling anything like the final product. So the question is, what is that for us as a church? What is that final image that God gives us for his kingdom? Uh, the, the finished work that he's called the church to accomplish, what does that picture look like? And I want to start today by giving us that picture because he doesn't leave us in the dark. He actually gives us that picture. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, Apostle John gets a vision from God. He gets a vision of what that final image that the church is working towards. Uh, so you don't have to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, this is what he sees. This is, the, if, if I could say, the image on that box that we are all aspiring to, to, to strive for and, and the reason why we exist. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, this is that final image that final, the, the finished product of God's kingdom. Imagine with me uh, the, the opening ceremony, ceremonies of the Olympics where hundreds of countries come together and they bring their flags representing their country, but instead of competing against one another, they're actually raising their hands to worship Jesus. Clothed in white. Just, just imagine with me. Get that vision inside your mind and your heart. 
every nation, all tribes, all languages, all peoples gathering to worship Jesus Christ. This is why the church exists. This is why we gather every Sunday. This is why we're still breathing. It's for this very mission that God has given, given to us in the church. This is why we're here. What John is giving us, he, he's giving us a global vision for God's glory. A global vision for his name to reach every single nook and cranny of this earth. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And the very name that our church is named after is, is based on this idea. All Nations Community Church. All Nations Community Church. So let me ask us, how are we doing? How is the church doing in reaching all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages? How are we doing? I want us to watch this video to, to answer that question for us in how we're doing. If we can play uh, the video. All right, so how is the church accomplishing this mission? How are we doing in accomplishing this mission? 7,000 unreached people groups, 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups, 3 billion people that have yet here just even an utterance of the name of Jesus Christ. It, just let that sink in for a little bit because that's 3 billion people, nearly half the world's population that is right now destined to hell. Not even getting the chance to hear the name of Jesus Christ, that, that love that he wants to pour out, the message that he has given us to, to take out. We are far from it. We are far from it. This global vision for God's glory has so much work to be yet done and accomplished. There are a few things that we can do with this information. A few things we can do with this information. First thing is we can just simply ignore it. Just wash our hands clean and say, you know what? It's just too big. I have no, no part in this. I can't do anything to change this. Three billion people, what am I going to do? The second response is we're just overwhelmed by the sheer numbers. Just overwhelmed. And so you just don't know where to start. And the last, right, response that we can have is just we can be critical towards the church. Man, why isn't the church doing its job? Why isn't all nation doing its, its, its part, playing its part in the Great Commission? Or, or, we as individuals and as a church, we can actively pursue and take the challenge that God has given us. Do we have a global vision for God's glory? Is it the reason why you exist and the reason why I exist? See, we are all on missions, believe it or not. Every one of us sitting down right now in these chairs, we're on a mission. It's just a matter of which, which mission and whose mission are we trying to accomplish. So along with the final product that God gives us, this image of this global vision of his glory, he gives us a set of instructions. So we need to go back and look at what those instructions are. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 18 through 20. So after Jesus rose again from the dead, he stayed, right, on this earth for 40 more days, hanging out with his disciples, giving uh, teachings and instructions, having fellowship. What we have here in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is his final marching order. 
his final instructions and his final final command uh, to his disciples. So let's give our full attention. This is of utmost eternal uh, importance. We need to get this right, and we have to understand what Jesus is saying. So let's give our full attention to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is famously known as the Great Commission, Jesus' last instructions to his disciples. This is the mission of the church. So two questions I want to ask and answer for us. What is a Great Commission calling us to? What is it actually asking us to do? Right? That's the first question. Secondly is what is my part? What is my role in the Great Commission? So what is it asking us to do and what part can I play in this Great Commission? So first question, what is it calling us to? All right, so every time I ask people or ask Christians, hey, can you tell me what the Great Commission is? What do they say? What are, what are the first words that they say? Go and make disciples. Right? It's a decent answer. But that answer, they, they skip the most important part of the Great Commission. That's only a part of it. They skip the most important part, which is all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is a great commission calling us to then? First, first thing that it's calling us to is not, it's not calling us to do something, right? It's not calling us to do something for someone. That's not the great commission. First thing that the great commission calls us to is to know something about someone. Let me say that again. The great commission is not calling us to do something for someone. It's calling us to know something about someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ. And what are we to know about Jesus Christ? That all authority, all authority is his. Now, for, us, for those of us who grew up in the church, we, we hear that, of course. Jesus is God. Of course he has all authority. But what's happening here, right, we need to know the difference between the post or the pre-resurrection Jesus and the post-resurrection Jesus. There are subtle differences, Right? The pre-resurrection Jesus, when Jesus was in his, uh, uh, the 33 years of his earthly ministry, he is fully God and fully man, but his divinity was restrained. Jesus self-limited himself in his divinity. Why did he do this? So that he can obey his Father's will and his command. So we see Jesus doing some supernatural things, God-like things. He calms the storms. Nature obeys him. He heals lepers. He heals those that are sick by just the utterance of his word, right? He feeds people, thousands of people with just, uh, just a small meal. He multiplies. He does God-like things, right? But then there's also within his earthly ministry where it doesn't seem like he's God, right? He asks, who touched me? Who touched me, right? If he's God, he should know that, right, information. If he's God, does he have to, like, why would he have to go through uh, experiences of hunger and thirst? Right? We see him in the desert fasting, right? And he's hungry and thirsty. How can God be hungry and thirsty? How can God be tempted? 
And ultimately, how can a God die? So this is, again, a divine mystery where God, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And in his earthly ministry, to submit to his Father's will, to obey him, he restrained his divinity. Again, why? Because he needed to succeed where Adam failed. Adam disobeyed God. So how can God obey God if he's not to restrain his divinity, to subject himself to the will of God, willingly subject himself, even though God, he didn't count in quality with God. That's what Paul tells us in Philippians 2. He willingly subjected himself. He limited himself. He restrained himself to succeed where Adam failed to the point where he died on the cross to obey his father. And what happened then? God rose him from the dead. He raised, he raised him from the dead. He exalted him to the highest place and he gave him all authority. But that could, not, that could not have been a reality if Jesus didn't faithfully and perfectly obeyed his father. So God exalted him, put everything under his rule and his authority. Now the restraints are now off. Everything now belongs to him. Now, why is this so important when we, are to, when we were talking about the Great Commission? Because if we start with go and make disciples, what's our immediate reaction? Who, me? With my abilities or my lack of abilities? I'm not an evangelist. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not that, I can't articulate like with eloquence the gospel. What happens? We start looking at ourselves. We start going through an inventory, a spiritual inventory, or even abilities inventory to see how we fall short of this great call. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that why so many of us hesitate to go on missions? It's because we're so looking in instead of looking up, which the Great Commission is calling us to do. The Great Commission, first and foremost, calls us to look up to see who's sitting on the throne before we're looking in. Too many of us, when we hear the Great Commission, we, we, we look to ourselves and we see that we lack we have such lacking and we're so inadequate. We're so weak to, to actually obey this. And I agree with you. Yes, we're not able. That's what Jesus says. And he's showing his disciples, all authority is now mine. All authority belongs to me. And so we are called to obey the great commission, not based on our competency, but because of Christ's supremacy. Let me just say that one more time. The great commission, right, to obey it, is not based on our competency, but on Christ's supremacy. He's supreme. He's in charge. He's, he governs all things. There's no space on this earth that is outside of God's or Jesus' rule and authority. Right? It's like that, that, that very all-too-familiar scene when you're watching a movie, right? If it's a crime thriller, right? There is a crime scene, right? LAPD comes on the, on the scene, but someone's already there, an FBI agent. What, is that, what does that LAPD officer say, detective? What are you doing here? You have no jurisdiction here, right? What does the FBI agent do? He takes out a piece of paper and says, this paper tells me otherwise. 
And what, what does the detective do? He's just discouraged and he leaves. Authority. Who has authority is, is the question. Jesus' jurisdiction, his authority, his rule and charge has no boundaries. It is all his. Everything belongs to him. He governs and he's sovereign over all. Right, right, just think about that then. He's in charge. There is not, there's not, no space on this earth that is outside of God's, uh, outside of Christ's authority. See, the Great Commission is great, not because of the people that are called to it, but because of the one who calls us. It's not dependent on us, brothers and sisters. It's not dependent on your abilities or your spirituality. The success of the Great Commission, the reason why the Great Commission is so great is because of the one who calls us to it. And he has all authority. His jurisdiction has no bounds. And so therefore, we have confidence. This is the fuel that drives our obedience to obey. Um, Drives us to obey the Great Commission. See, Christ already secured the victory for us. He is in rule. He is ruling and he's in charge. So the Great Commission is not a conquest, brothers and sisters. We're not going into the world to conquer it. The Great Commission is a plundering expedition. You guys know what that is? A plundering expedition? After a war is won, the victors go in and they retrieve the spoils of war. That's what we're called to do. We're going in to retrieve what Christ has already won for us. So we're not going in to conquer it. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Christ and his call and his supreme rule. So the Great Commission calls us to look up, to see who's sitting on that throne. Look up before looking in and before looking out. What else is the Great Commission calling us to? Secondly, secondly, the Great Commission is calling us to make disciples. Not to make converts, not to do some good deeds, but to make Disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The main verb, is, the main verb here is make disciples. And there are three participles here. Go, baptize, and teach. Go, making disciples, baptize, making disciples, and teach for the sake of making disciples. Everything is about making disciples here. Um, so being, my, my wife uh, is an event planner. Uh, she, she, she coordinates events like weddings and babies' first birthdays. Uh, there's pros and cons to, to marrying an event coordinator. <laughs> um, she's really organized, very organized. There's, there's, a, there's a system and, a, and a, an idea and a concept for everything in our house, right? So when you, when you go into our house, like Jane, my wife, just organizes things very specifically. And she then will give me instructions and helping her out with that, right? Um, and so there are times where I feel like I get what Jane's asking me to do, and I try to execute it, right? But it's not exactly the way that she wants it. She's one of those very type A personalities, Right, one, one example is, like, for me, I just hang my clothes, right, in the dresser. I just hang, hang them. Jane needs all my clothes to face one direction, 
Right? Do you know people like this? Are you like this? Right? God help your future spouse. But you know what I mean? Like everything. So like, I'm like, Jane, I did what you wanted me to do. It's like, no, that's not exactly what I told you to do. It's got to be facing all the same direction. It's really frustrating at times because, right, I, I, I'm trying to do what she's asking me to do. Right, so there's one, I mean, it's one thing for us to get instructions and just completely ignore it, right? And, and I hope I don't do that. I don't think I do that, right? So there's one thing for us to be rebellious, right? We see instructions and commands and we just completely ignore it. But you know what's worse than that? When you're trying to follow the instructions, but you're actually not doing exactly what they're asking you to do. That's, that's, the, that's more frustrating, in my opinion. But I feel like, a lot of us, we do this with the Great Commission, right? Jesus is very explicit in his instruction and command. Go and make disciples. But what does a Christian church do sometimes? We get it wrong. We think we're doing the Great Commission, but we're actually not. So the, so the church is, yeah, we're all about social justice. We're all about just stopping human trafficking. Yes, and amen, we should. But are we obeying the Great Commission by trying to stop human trafficking? The answer is no. Feeding the homeless. It's a great act of mercy and compassion. We should love our neighbors as ourselves, but is it the Great Commission? It's not. It's not. Digging a well for clean water for people that don't have access to it. It's a good endeavor, but are we being faithful to the commission that God has given us? No. How about evangelism? Ooh, that's a tricky one. For us to evangelize to people, are we being faithful to the Great Commission? Partially, yes. But just in and of that itself, no. We are being disobedient. Let me explain. You know, there's a saying that keeps going around that, that just frustrates me so much as a missions pastor. And actually, I grew up, I grew up hearing this phrase, and, and I've even said it myself in my young, immature days. It's this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Have you guys heard this? Right? Everyone gets all pumped up. Yeah, yeah, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. It's a nonsensical phrase. It's a nonsensical, foolish phrase. The gospel is what? News. You don't do news. You tell people news. You guys, you guys get me? So I, I'm all for social justice. I'll be the first one to say I, I, I'm to, you know, I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to stop human trafficking. Let's, let's partner with people and do that. But that is not the Great Commission. To make disciples, we need proclamation. We need to proclaim. Even Jesus himself, when he came to do his ministry, he didn't just go on the cross to demonstrate. He came proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. Repent. The gospel is news that needs to be proclaimed, articulated, and explained to people. We can't just do good things. Now, should we do those things as we preach the gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. We should preach the gospel, right? I'll say this way. This is my version of this nonsensical phrase. Preach the gospel at all times, and all times love and do good. That's how it should be said. Because preach the gospel all times and if necessary, use words, does not make sense at all. Just that sentence itself, it doesn't make sense. Gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. We need both. 
We need both. But with that latter part, just demonstrating the gospel doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. So we are to do both. But we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In making disciples, we are to go, we are to baptize and teach. Right? Go. Go. We are called to go. This is movement outwards. See, the gospel starts inwards, right? In individuals' hearts, we hear the gospel, and then, and then we, we realize that we are sinners, and then we repent, and then we grow, right, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if it remains there, we are not growing as disciples. We're not growing as disciples. We're going to be ingrown. We're going to be just self-interested. No, the gospel movement starts inward, but then it moves outwards, individually but corporately as well. We are not just wanting for us to just be best friends, just to, just to hug each other and celebrate Jesus together. Although that is good, and although that's what we're called to do, but the ultimate aim of discipleship is for us to move outwards to those that don't know who Jesus Christ is. Three billion people that have yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ. We are to go outwards. Baptism, baptize. What does baptism mean? Repent, repentance. Right? And so this baptism of water symbolizes that you've confessed your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ and you're now a new creation. Right? So it's talking about conversion, regeneration. Right? It's a great, great sacrament that Jesus gave for us to practice. It's a, it's, a visual, it's a physical reminder of an invisible truth. That's what baptism is. But again, Jesus doesn't just stop at baptism. So we can go into a remote village in India, which I've done before and preached the gospel and have people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when we just leave without anyone to help them understand what it means to be a Christian, we haven't, we haven't yet obeyed the Great Commission. You guys get that? I've done that so many times and I think back, I'm like, man, what we were, what, what we were thinking? What, what, what were we doing to these people? We just share Jesus and we peace out and there's like no one to help them understand. And this last part is so important. Teach to teach. Conversion is not the end of the Great Commission. Conformity is. Conversion is a start, but the end of the Great Commission is conformity for us to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. See, the ultimate aim of discipleship isn't about getting someone to meet Jesus but to follow Jesus, to learn from him, and to be like him. That is what it means for us to obey the Great Commission, is to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus Christ. Our ultimate aim is to get someone to follow the one that we're following. So this process of the Great Commission, the process of the Great Commission may differ depending on uh, circumstances and, and the situation. For example, you can't go into a nation like Kyrgyzstan and just proclaim. No, we have to go in a, in a very different way. We have to come in as nonprofit organizations. And if the opportunity presents itself, then we can share. So the approach may be different from situation and circumstances, but the ultimate aim is still the same. Conformity to Jesus Christ. That is our aim individually, for us to conform to Jesus Christ, but us to get others to conform to Jesus Christ. I'm just, I'm just asking myself and asking us, how are we doing even in just that? To be a disciple, to conform to Jesus, and to help others to conform to Jesus as well.
Are we being faithful? To sum up the Great Commission then, with Christ's authority, we go out and proclaim Jesus, right, calling people to repentance, but after that, we call people to grow deeper in Jesus. Does that make sense? With Christ's authority, we go out and proclaim, and then we want them to grow deeper in Jesus. That is, that, that's how we are faithful in obeying the Great Commission. So secondly, right? Secondly, what part do I play in the Great Commission? Second question I want to ask us to consider. See, some of us read the Great Commission and think it's a great suggestion. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, that is is not a great suggestion. It's not just one model or one option of doing church. No, this is a command of God. And so John, John Piper says it this way. What is our part in the Great Commission? Number one, we're either zealous goers. Number two, we're either zealous senders. Or number three, we're disobedient. Those are the only three options when confronted with a great commission. Either we're zealous goers or zealous senders or disobedient to God. See, everyone is called to the great commission. Every single one of us here, sitting here, that says Jesus Christ is Lord, you're called to the great commission. It's a matter of figuring out what part you're going to play. What role do you play in the great commission? So the first challenge I want to offer to all of us, every single one of us, is consider being a zealous goer. Consider going. Consider going. So when Jesus asked his disciples to go into all the nations, he gave them geographical priorities. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? It's starting close, broadening, broadening, and then to the ends of the earth. That's the command. So families here, your obedience to the Great Commission starts with your family. That's your Jerusalem. That's where you start. And then it starts for us as a church. It's Sunland, Lakeview Terrace, Silmar, Greater Los Angeles, the United States, and to the ends of the earth. We are called to go out. Do you see the gospel movement? It's, it's, it's less inward, but it continues to spread outward. Go, go. See, right now, There are are opportunities that have never been presented before in this world for us to go. Uh, uh, 7,000 unreached people groups, 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups. They're all getting displaced right now. Access to those, uh, when there was no access to these nations, there are access now. There's open doors right now because all these people are getting displaced because of war. They're, They're getting into countries like Greece, They're going to Macedonia. They're going to all these places where the gospel can be preached. See, we think that that, that everything that's happening right now in this world is just accidental. No, God is working something very mysteriously and very powerfully. And what God is saying, go. Go because these people are wanting to hear good news because their whole lives is just filled with bad news. But they're not being displaced. Hundreds and thousands and millions of people are getting displaced. 350 unreached people groups are here right now in the United States. How are we going to respond to these open doors? Go. Go. They might be in your classrooms. Go and proclaim the good message of Jesus Christ. Who are to go then? Consider, if you're going to consider being a zealous goer, what, what qualifications do you need? The fact is, my wife is more qualified than me to go. The reason why is missionaries are getting kicked out. 
Hundreds of missionaries are getting kicked out of everywhere, out of China, out of India. Missionary visas are getting revoked. They're, they're, not, they're denying missionaries from coming in. Then who's going to go? Who's going to go? My wife's a teacher. She's more valuable in the mission field than I am right now. I look in this room. We have programmers. We have nurses. We have, we have uh, businessmen and women. We have contractors. We have architects. We have artists. We have musicians. We have uh, film producers. You guys have more access than I do to go. Do you guys know that? You guys have more access than I have to go. Do you think it's an accident that you're in the schools that you're in right now? Do you think it's an accident that you have a vocation and a career that you have right now? Do you think it's accidental that you have the life that you have right now? No, God is orchestrating your life for his great commission. Go. What's holding you back? Again, if Jesus Christ has all authority on heaven and on earth, our confidence is in him, not in your abilities. But again, the position that he has placed you in right now you have, you have the ability to go and make an impact more than I can at this time. Go. See, some students come to me and say, hey, DC, I'm so tired of this life. I'm so tired of studying. I'm going to quit school and I'm going to go on missions. And I tell them, good luck. Who's going to let you in? With what degree? With what credentials are you going to be able to get, gain access to these countries? How are you going to get in? Again, do you think it's accidental that you're at UC Riverside? Do you think it's accidental you're at USC? No, God has a greater purpose, a great commission purpose for you to go. Study for the glory of God. Gain that degree. Be at the top of your class so that you can go and gain access to these countries. They will welcome you in. Nations are crying out for you with your gifts and your abilities. They're rejecting me, but they're crying out for you guys. A few weeks ago, we had an opportunity to meet with a, a young woman. She's in her 30s, and she's been living in Kyrgyzstan for three years, and she's a film producer. She's producing a full-length film. Uh, I was blown away by her because, you know, she considers herself, herself a missionary, but the government doesn't know that, and she's not making a gospel film. She's writing a gospel message within a story. It's unbelievable because the Kyrgyzstan culture, what's huge in there is shame and guilt. If you partake in alcohol or you get tattoos, you're like basically ostracized. So parents will disown their children. And what this movie is about is a brother going to get her sister back. The love of a brother. It's basically the prodigal son. It's, it's, an it's beautifully done with excellence. And there's 30, there's 30 people in their film crew that are non-Christians that they are making a, not an explicit, but a, a gospel film. And throughout her movie, she has Bible passages sketched throughout each scene. And it just, I was like, wow. She's using her gifts, her passions to glorify God. What she's thinking is if I can change the narrative of shame and guilt in this culture, we can then impact them with the gospel. It's unbelievable. She's using her God-given ability and passions to serve in this way. I want to challenge us, go. You guys have the tools. You guys have the resources and the abilities to go. 
So go, consider going. And if you feel like you're called to go and you've just been suppressing that calling, please come and talk to me. I would love to affirm or confirm that calling that God has for your life. And we want to partner with you to, to hopefully be able to send you if you are a goer. And this summer, we're going to Kyrgyzstan. We have two different uh, options. Team A is going for two weeks. Team B is going for one week. The one-week trip is for those that are working. But we need to go and see what God is doing in the nations. We need to see it for ourselves to, to broaden our perspective of the global vision for God's glory. Uh, 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 July 26th to August 6th. Information is at the missionary booth. So go and see uh, what, what, what God can do through you. But we got to go. We have to go. God has called us to go. Secondly, right, if you're not going to be a, a zealous goer, be a zealous sender. Support those that are called call to go. Now, we have uh, three missionaries, right, uh, in Indonesia, in sorry, Northeast Asia, and uh, uh, India. Three countries that have unreached and unengaged. It's a, such a blessing that we get to actually partner with these missionaries that are going out to the most uh, uh, the unreached people groups. We pray for them. We give to them. They have needs in Northeast Asia so that they can move around and serve other people. But they, they, they don't have the funds to do it. So, so we are called to then be zealous senders, give our resources, offer up prayers, for these missionaries. And we have, again, at the missionary booth, prayer cards, two of them, Northeast Asia and Indonesia. What I want you guys to do is place that on your refrigerator door. Every time you open the fridge, you see them and their family and their kids, and you can offer up a prayer for them on that spot. That's one of the most important things we can do to be zealous senders is to pray for our missionaries. So please, get one. Don't just leave. Respond. Respond today to the call of God. There's two today that we can, and we're going to offer one more. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for our missionaries. Be a zealous sender. Now, I just want to celebrate and, and just kind of brag about our church. We have so many people that are zealous senders. They're using their business, their success, to bless others. It's not just for their own gain. So we have, we have those in the fashion, the fashion business. They donate. Free hundreds of articles of clothing, beanies, socks to be used on the mission field. We have those involved in a coffee shop. Coffee shop that they designate a percentage to go to missions and to go to uh, the work of the gospel. We have people like that in here. And I want to encourage us. If you're not going to go, work your butt off to send. Send. If you get a support letter... Don't just ignore it. Pray for them, but also give to them. Be zealous senders. We're either a zealous goer, we're either a zealous sender, or we're disobedient. I pray and hope that we all can fit into the first two. That's what God wants from us. That is what God has called us to. So in closing, church, do we have eternity in our minds? Because the devil wants to fool us to think that this is it that this is, this is the life, this is all that there is? Do we have eternity in our minds? Do we have a, a, a global vision for God's glory? Think about what happened. 11 normal individuals transformed the history of the world. Fishermen, tradesmen, a tax collector, 
changed the world. There was nothing extra, extraordinary about them. Actually, if you look at them, they were cowards. None of them showed up at the cross except for one. Even after the death, they were in hiding, scared of Jews, scared of the Jews. They were cowards. What happened? How did all 11 of them almost give their lives as martyrs to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What happened to these 11 cowards to change and transform the world? They encountered the risen Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus Christ risen from the grave, having all authority. That's the only way we can explain them all going to their deaths for the gospel. That's the only way. They encountered the resurrected Jesus who conquered sin, Satan, and death. And they all died for the gospel and changed the world for the glory of God. Jim Elliott was a missionary in the 1950s to the Indians in Ecuador. He and his four friends, what they were wanting to do uh, was to drop down gifts to these Indians that have not been reached. But they were known uh, to be savages, to kill anyone that came to their village. So what they did was just drop off gifts from a plane. And eventually they made their way down, right, landing. And they interacted. It was, some, it was going okay. But one time they landed. They landed and men came with spears to kill them. Five missionaries, Jim Elliott. He was married for three years and he had a 10-month-old daughter. Amongst that five, they had guns with them. They could have protected themselves. But out of love for these people, they love, genuinely love these people, they gave their lives. They were speared to death. What, what compels? What compels people to do this? A family man with a 10-month-old daughter to do this. If it is not the supremacy of Christ, if it is not a global vision for God's glory, if it's not encountering the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, what compels him to do this? This was his creed. This is what he lived his life by. It's going to be up on the screen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What did the disciples and Jim Elliot see? They saw the surpassing beauty of Jesus Christ. They got a glimpse of his glory, and that glory changed them forever. They can no longer live for trivial, worldly uh, pleasures. All they wanted was the glory of Jesus to be known. Church, brothers and sisters, friends, listen carefully. We have everything because Christ, has gave, Christ gave everything for us in his life, death, and resurrection. We are not in want. We, we have nothing. We, we have nothing. There's, the world has nothing to offer us because Christ has given us everything. That's why Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the mentality of Paul, and I hope and pray that is our mentality, that we can be zealous goers or zealous senders. So Jesus ends his great commission with a reminder to look to him again. This is amazing. Jesus, in giving the great commission to his disciples, he says, look up, look at my authority. But when he ends his great commission, what does he say again? Behold, look at me. Look at, look at me again. I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, the confidence that we have, the assurance that we have, if we go, if we send, if we are zealous goers or senders, Jesus Christ will be with us 
be with us to the end of the age. Our obedience to the Great Commission starts with Jesus, and it is sustained by Jesus. Let's never take our eyes off our Savior. Let's never get too comfortable in this world because this is not it. Let's live for the glory of God by being obedient to the Great Commission. You're either going to go, you're either going to send, or we're going to be disobedient. I'm calling us to go or send. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your love. Not only do you save and redeem us, you make us, you want us to be a part of your plan of redemption for this world. Every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language. God, may your Holy Spirit convict us right now because I believe there are brothers and sisters here that have a calling to go. Father, may you get rid of our fear. May you build us a confidence that is rooted in the truth that Jesus is reigning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'll give them boldness and I pray that you will affirm and confirm that calling in their life right now. And for those, oh Lord, that are called to be senders, bless their, bless their uh, business, bless their uh, efforts, bless their jobs so that they can be generous, not only with their prayers, but, Lord, with their finances. God, give us a greater vision for your glory. And Father, for those of us may, that may be in a, in, a, in a position of disobedience, God, may you again remind us of your grace. Father, may you reveal yourself to us so that we can get, catch a glimpse of your glory so that we can be changed and that we can be moved to be disciples. God, we, we entrust this community, we entrust ourselves to you. Use us as you please. And God, may you use every single one of us to fulfill the great commission to go and make disciples. Help us to know what our part is. Give us clarity. Give us conviction. And give us a passion for your name that can only come from you. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.